Christ is risen. Please be seated. Why do you look for the living among the dead? The women come precisely because they are looking for their beloved dead, their friend and teacher, Jesus, whose brutal torture and execution they witnessed only two days ago. These women have appeared before in Luke's Gospel. They're part of Jesus' close community. When he was preaching and teaching and traveling around Galilee, they traveled with him. Joanna is noted as the wife of Herod's steward, which must have made for interesting domestic negotiation. A subversive in Herod's very own household. Mary Magdalene, first witness to the resurrection in every gospel account, was healed by Jesus of seven demons, freed from the grip of evil and a traumatized heart and body. It's no wonder she was devoted to him. We also hear that these women provided for Jesus and the other disciples out of their own resources. They were women of substance and commitment, generous women, decisive women. Luke also tells us that these women who followed Jesus from Galilee watched his death from a distance, and also that they saw Joseph of Arimathea take Jesus' body down from the cross. They followed and watched Joseph wrap the body in a linen shroud and place it in a new tomb hewn in the rock. That's how they knew where to go with the burial spices on Sunday morning. And so they come, these women, faithful and traumatized. Their world has been shattered, not only their personal relationships with Jesus, also their cherished hope that Jesus' ministry might really bring God's kingdom of justice and peace. The brutality and suddenness of Jesus' execution has left them unsure how to make sense of what is left of their lives now that the unthinkable has happened. They come to the tomb to do what they can, to bring some order into the chaos, to offer this last honor and service to their friend. We know how after death such rituals help us to put the world and ourselves back together. I'm sure they've anointed bodies before. That is, after all, usually women's work. They come because a tomb is a place to remember, a place to mourn, to tell stories, maybe to visit regularly. Knowing its physical location is comforting. We've learned this in a whole new way these past two years of pandemic. 
first in the extremity of people who could not even be with their loved ones as they died, and also with the COVID restrictions on funerals, the added losses of not being able to gather to pray together, to mourn and remember and comfort one another. Gratefully, that time seems to be past, for now at least. Of course, the women also know that this particular tomb may be a dangerous place to be, given the politics of Jesus' death. Maybe that's why they came so early, as soon as there was light, in what Luke calls the deep dawn. So I imagine them, as they go, anxious and determined. But when they arrive at the tomb, the stone that sealed the entrance has been rolled back. The cave is large enough that they can go in, and they find it empty. Jesus' body is not there. Luke tells us that the women were perplexed. Perplexed. Puzzled. Wondering. And then, suddenly, they see two men in dazzling white, visitors from beyond. Something about them is uncanny and numinous. We call them angels, which means messengers of God. And this dazzling human appearance is often the way we know how to depict them. You can see them in this window right here. I think they probably don't always look like that, but our imaginations signal that they bring a message from what the scholar Imani Perry, speaking about truths that are not comprehensible by our rational minds, calls the marvelous real. The marvelous real. In the presence of these visitors, the women are terrified. This visitation undoes their world, though in a different way than the brutality they experienced a few days ago. They fall to the ground and they cover their faces. Close to the ground is the safest place to be. The messengers say, he's not here, he's risen. Excuse me. First, the dazzling visitors ask a question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And the women don't speak. But if they did, they might as well say, they're not looking for anyone living at all. They and we expect the dead to stay properly dead and in their places. But the messengers go on, he's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you. Among all the gospel writers, Luke seems most interested in connecting the resurrection with the disciples and our memory of Jesus' teaching. This theme is even stronger when the risen Christ appears to some folks later in this chapter. They don't recognize him at first, but their hearts burn within them 
as he opens the scriptures to them, as he recasts both the contemporary events and their ancient faith to help them see the consistent character of God who can bring a way out of no way and life from the dead. The resurrection is radically open and radically new, but it is not arbitrary. It is Jesus of Nazareth whom God has raised, the very one crucified as an enemy of empire, a prophet who brought good news to the poor, freedom to the oppressed, healing to people afflicted in body or soul. The Jesus who preached and practiced forgiveness for neighbors and strangers and even enemies, who led by humble service and told about God's coming reign in parables about the lost who are found, the last who are first, about absurd mercy and prodigal welcome, who broke bread with all kinds of disreputable people. The resurrection is God's yes to Jesus, to his life, his mission, and his commitment to God's way, even to death. I wonder if the women also remembered Jesus' teaching about passages like the one we heard this morning from Isaiah, if they remembered how deeply steeped he was in the faith of Israel, which was their faith too. The God Jesus loved and called Abba, the one whose realm came so near in his preaching and his presence, is the God who made all creation and calls it good, the God of the Exodus, celebrated by our Jewish siblings in this very season of Passover, the God who hears the cry of all who suffer and leads enslaved people into freedom. In Isaiah, five centuries before Jesus, God speaks of yet a new act of creative liberation, bringing a people who have been devastated by conquest and exile home. I am about to create a new heaven and a new earth, says the prophet, speaking in God's voice. A world of joy, dignity, equity, and abundance. Isaiah's vision of new life includes not only human culture, but also renewed relationship with and within the natural world. If we understand the resurrection as the act of this God, whose divine mercy is ever new, always sovereign and surprising, always expressed in loving kindness and liberation, we see that it is not just about Jesus. It's about justice and freedom for all people. It is not just about human beings, it's about all beings, the wolf and the lamb, trees and rocks, sea creatures and stars. A new heaven and a new earth, not taking us out of this world, but cherishing and renewing us and all as part of the community of the living Christ. Paul writes to the Corinthians that Christ 
is the first fruits of the resurrection that God intends for the whole beloved creation, making all things new. The women remember. They remember. They were dismembered. They were ripped apart by Jesus' death. But now, tremulous in the growing light, they're being put back together again in a new way, a way shaped by the story of the crucified and living one, the love that accompanies us through life and death and will not let us go. They're on the threshold of a new and holy courage, willing to lose their lives again and again in order to rise with Christ. Both memory and sanctified imagination nourish their trust in God, who makes all things new. They return from the tomb. There's nothing more to do or find there. How do you imagine they were as they came? Not yet clear, but open, as if the vastness of the empty tomb has entered them as a space of possibility, tremulous with joy despite the reality of death. They tell the eleven and the rest, it seems like Jesus' closest male disciples and others have all been together. I imagine they could speak of little else but the horror they had witnessed the shattering loss they had experienced, and maybe what in the world they would do next. So the women come into their company. Do they burst in? Do they come slowly as if dazed? Are they babbling and stammering or barely able to speak? They do tell what they've heard and what they have remembered. And in their words are glimmers of the numinous, the marvelous real, the burgeoning hope that death does not have the last word and that God has acted in a new creation, that Jesus has been raised and is loose out there in the world. The others, however, do not believe them. They think the women are telling an idle tale. It's tempting to pause here for hashtag believe women. We should. And indeed, part of Luke's point is that these women, powerful and brave though they are, are not respected witnesses to anything. Not in that culture and all too often even to the present day. In their testimony, the medium is the message, resounding from the song sung by another Mary, Jesus' mother, at the beginning of Luke's gospel. The lowly tell God's mighty deeds, the proud are cast down and the humble lifted high. Amani Perry says, there is a second sight that comes from being able to see society from the bottom. Alternate and insurgent ways of understanding the world that come from the marvelous real. 
Maybe only in our brokenness do we know how much we need resurrection. But does this message sometimes seem to us an idle tale? Yes, sometimes it does. I trust in the love of the crucified and risen Christ indeed. And sometimes I struggle with doubt and deep despair in the face of how broken the world is, how much evil there is. Perhaps it's so for many of you. I wait in the emptiness. I remember the loving kindness of God. I practice and I choose and I lean on the witness of others. Like Peter, Peter stirred by the testimony of these sisters. He goes to see. He finds the door open, the tomb empty, the linen grave clothes discarded, and the dazzlers gone. And he returns amazed, not certain about anything, amazed. His mind and heart are blown, and wonder, bewilderment, fear, and trembling joy are all part of that experience. Here ends the reading. The women and their hearers have not yet met the risen Lord, but the message is working on them. The resurrection is working in them. What shall we take from this gospel on Easter morning? How might the resurrection also be at work in us? First, it's striking to me that in this gospel there are so many women. They need each other. I picture them talking about what they've experienced, helping each other make sense of it, helping each other do the next thing, healing from their trauma, entertaining hope. Together they remember Jesus, and together they are themselves remembered into a new body enlivened with God's love and mercy and justice and joy. We too need community, solidarity and companionship in order to remember the risen Lord. Second, this story points in a very helpful way to different dimensions of our life in faith. The women act from duty, love, terror, faithful memory, possibility, and hope. They practice care for one another and courageous love. Their hearers initially think they're telling an idle tale, but that gives way to exploration, amazement, and wonder. There's room for all of it in our spiritual lives. The resurrection is not linear, and neither is our faith. And finally, the question with which I began, why? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Friends, we have seen so much death. 
In the last two pandemic years, of course, also from poverty, racism, indifference, gun violence, and now the carnage of the war in Ukraine. It's tempting to just want to go back to some semblance of what feels familiar and normal. For sure, it is a deep blessing to be able to gather together again in the flesh. We're grateful, and it's important, and healing, and life-giving. And we are not going back to the way things were. We don't yet know where we're going, or what a new life together, new ways of being church, ways of being faithful humans, ways of living with the natural world in integrity and of living in peace with our neighbors. Despite so much fear and suffering and, yes, evil, we don't know what that new way or hope might look like. And yet, yet the tomb is empty. The possibilities are wide open. And God makes the world new not only once, but every morning, with a determined love and faithfulness. And Jesus has been raised and is loose out there in the world. So take heart, friends, and take even a small step and then another in trust and in the service of new life. Let resurrection take root and grow in you. Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia.